0: Love Talk Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Real Estate Investor Goddesses podcast. I'm your host, Monique Hahn. On this show, we interview super badass, amazing real estate investor goddesses, women that are investing in real estate, and talk to them about their stories, their, um, their biggest mistakes, their, their triumphs, and their best advice. And we also bring in people who, you know, they have a different take on, you know, their, their real estate investors and plus they, they do more. And our guest today is definitely plus. Natalie Torres Haddad is our guest um, And she is an expert in financial literacy. She was not always an expert in financial literacy, and she'll tell us uh, more about that. I know most of us are not taught to be financially literate. I certainly wasn't. But financial literacy really is crucial for success as a real estate investor. And Natalie Torres Haddad has figured out how to, you know, the language of financial literacy and is teaching others to do the same. She was the first Latin American immigrant TEDx speaker, and her talk was The Foreign Language of Financial Literacy. It's really great. I, I saw that. So I'm going to recommend that you watch that after you listen to this podcast. She's an international award winning author. She's a, the bilingual, a bilingual podcast host of Financially Savvy in 20 Minutes. She's also a real estate investor, she's been investing since she was 24, and she's a workshop to
1: have her here. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be a part of this podcast. This is awesome. <laughs> well, I'm excited to have
0: you. Um, so, so listening to your TEDx talk and uh, you know, you were so tell. I know that where you are now is pretty different from where you started. So, tell us a little bit about your background, like where you where you started out,
1: and then. How did you get started in real estate investing? Yes. Uh, it's funny how people always say, oh, a financial expert. And I'm like, no, I think it's think something that's never completely done. It's definitely an evolving thing. And, I, and part of my TED Talk was called, well, the theme was financial literacy as a foreign language because most of us that know a language, obviously any language, um, but learning a foreign language. It's something that is constantly evolving and changing and so it goes to show with financial literacy, and you know that as well. as For real estate, there's always new new terms that are coming out, new loans. Everything that happens to be relevant maybe a couple decades ago might slightly change, and I think that's one of the biggest imp- importance that I usually uh, portray when I'm doing these presentations and workshops because I think that's something that most of us get so overwhelmed just thinking about the word financial anything with finances and if most of us that don't grow up around that you know that can be very not only overwhelming but it it, kind of shuts us off and be like well how can I even get started on that so um, definitely in a different place now and for those that haven't seen my TED talk you know you can definitely watch it but it's it's such an empowering place and what more than anything it's just kind of a such a relief to know that you know what things happen, mistakes happen, and I'm sure you, I, I've listened to my, most of your podcasts as well, so all of your guests, I love how they'll say, oh yeah, I learned the most from this huge mistake, and so for me, yeah, that's something I, I like to let people know, be patient with yourself, it's just like learning a language, you're not going to learn it all at once, let alone, it's always going to continue to change, and as we get older, it's, it's more of a, an issue that we should be educating ourselves um, investing in our, in our, not only our education, but investing in our financial education because we have to learn it and it's always changing and, you know, politics and everything else that's included with it, it's, it's something that we're affected by every day. Yeah, for sure. You always have to go deeper. So yeah, um, absolutely. I,
0: I love that. And, you know, like you were saying, you definitely didn't start out knowing about real estate you were or or, or money or investing if, if I'm correct, at the U you, Salvador, your family came from El Salvador mm-hmm. and you lived in Englewood, California. Yes, um, mm-hmm. And so tell us a little bit about what it was like, you know, for you growing up around money. What did you, what were your, what were you taught about finances and,
1: yeah. and money? You know, it's funny, I opened up your book, which I'm hoping your listeners have already read, and I love how you actually quote Robert Kiyosaki, which said, Poor Dad. And I always refer to that particular book because growing up around not having money and then being surrounded by people that have money is a huge eye-opener, and that's something that really did affect me at a very young age. I went to public school. And then L.A. Wright hit and my parents freaked out and, and so pulled us out at a public school and then put us into private school, which is about an hour away from where we live. And all wow. of a sudden I was surrounded by really rich kids. <laughs> um, and so, and I, and I grew up in a even a smaller part of Inglewood, which is known as Lenox. And for those that don't know Los Angeles, uh, if you you know Inglewood, they're like, okay, it's not exactly a wealth city now, back then at least. And um This was a city that was even struggling just to get by. And so all of a sudden you're thrown into a mix with, you know, with kids that have parents that have multiple businesses, franchises, are probably also, um, you know, not first-generation business owners, you could say. Their language is very different. The way they have day-to-day interactions with their own kids is very different. And so I used to think, wow, both of your parents don't work two jobs like mine because my parents sacrifice so much worked so hard to put us in a really good school, Um, but all of a sudden, too, I I started to realize there is a very big difference the way we talk to ourselves, not just our own habits, but how, you know, and and I think this is what most people can say. Oh, yeah, growing up, I always heard, oh, what do you think? I made out of money or, you know, money doesn't go on trees, and it's just certain things that we say that affect how we think about money, and it usually comes from a place of lacking instead of a place of abundance. So when I read The Rich Dad, Poor Dad in college, I, I felt like, oh, my gosh, this is the story of my life, <laughs> um, you know, trying to balance the the difference between the two and, and figuring out, okay, I have to obviously learn about money, learn about financial and, uh, literacy as well. But, you know, real estate was definitely one tool that helped me, but it's it's also being able to educate myself continuously, not just in college, more than anything after college is just as important, if not more. Yeah, for sure.
0: So. It's so funny because so many of my guests, I go, what got what got you started real estate? And that we call it the little purple book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, <laughs> it factors, and probably over ninety, like ninety five percent of my guests, they've had um, that book, including myself. I right? read the book and it was like, oh wow, I just did, you know, I didn't think that way. So you, so what actually made you invest in real estate? What made you decide I'm going to invest in real estate?
1: Well, I always had an idea. My, luckily, my parents were smart enough to uh, buy their first home. They were in their late 20s. Um, and I remember I couldn't understand the difference because, I, you know, I would see some of my friends that I appeared to be wealthy, that their parents were renting in a wealthy area, and by all means they weren't wealthy at all. Later on, I find out, I'm like, oh, yeah, they were living well above their means, right? And my parents owned mm-hmm. a, technically a poor neighborhood, but I also saw the value that you can get from owning your own home, but more than anything, Learning how to real, to invest in real estate and rental property. So I yeah. I ended up studying finance as my, my, my one of my majors. I double majored in international business and finance, and my finance emphasis was in real estate. And so I graduated, mm. and a few years later, not a few years, less than a couple years later, the market crashed. But I was fortunate enough that I was already taking all these courses. And you know what courses, you know, the ones that you invest 20 grand here and there um, to learn about real estate. And this was well after college. And so I was all of a sudden involved in these conferences and workshops where there were seasoned real estate investors. And I would get this all the time. And I look back and I'm like, oh, my gosh, if I can go back and be like, this is actually a great opportunity. I would get people at yeah. conferences and workshops coming up to me. And I had, a, I had a partner that I would go. We're both like the youngest people there in our 20s. And most people would say, oh, I wish my kids were, you know, like you. Because most of these people are half, you know, swiper age, excuse me. And um, they were just kind of amazing. We totally stuck out. And there was moments where I would doubt. I'm like, why am I here? Why am I investing so much in this? Am I crazy? And lo and behold, obviously that's not, by far, I was in the right place at the right time. Um, because I did learn a lot from these and investors. Some of them lost everything during that market crash. Others thrived because they you know, obviously they knew and they were very careful what they were doing. So I learned a lot from that. And my first property I had to buy with a partner because I only had 5000 uh for down payment and I had excellent credit. But I was like, this is not enough, right? So most yeah. people don't go that route, you know. And, and for me, I was a single woman. I didn't get married till I was 31. So I knew I had to get these things done. And I was actually also really, more and more I talk about, financial literacy and advocate for it I understood early on that you know what my parents did really well with me in the sense where my dad especially would always say you need to get your education your your career and your home before you get married like don't and I was like oh yeah that seems like the norm right and I have a younger brother and we got that message at home right away and then as I got older I noticed wait most women aren't told this and so they're not taught and not necessarily talked about financial independence so for me, I really took that to heart. And I just thought it was the norm. And the more and more I teach this, I understand, wow, we, we need to change those cycles. Because it, it not only does it become empowering when you we have your own place, and then you actually find someone you really want to be with, you don't no longer feel like it's a, out of a need. It's more of a like, you know, I choose to be with you, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so real estate absolutely. was definitely such a enough. An and knowing that I have a home, that was a big seller for me. And my husband, too, was like, you know, he was renting at the time when we got married. So he, I'm like, hey, you know, we got a condo we're living in now. So this is awesome, right? Especially in Los Angeles, it's really difficult. Um, it's just a very difficult real estate market for most people. So I, I, I'm really thankful that I had at least that vision in the long run. I'm like, I can do this. I have no idea how, and I'm going to have to come up with resources, and we'll say collaborate or partner up with people. And at least that's how I got my first place. And the second one I did on my own and so forth. So it was really a blessing in disguise going through all that whole process at a very young age. Amazing,
0: and i uh, I just want to highlight something you said because it it's um, it it brings up for me one thing that Tony Robbins said. there's no lack of resources, it's just a lack of resourcefulness. So if you I love how you're like,, Ooh, I only have five thousand dollars to get a property in Los Angeles, which is such an expensive market, but you're able to partner with somebody to get a pro a property. And that's um, possible um, if you can be more resourceful and you're definitely being resourceful. So that's amazing.
1: Thank you. And, you know, I have to mention my first property was actually out of state. And so that's something that um, I actually come across for a few friends of mine that are from New York. And, you know, New York and L.A., we have crazy, really big market prices when it comes right to Mm -hmm. investing. And for, for those that are listening that are college graduates or starting out all over again or whatever it might be, don't be afraid to look out of state because obviously it'll be less expensive. Um, obviously investing in a good property management company is key because obviously you can't be there 24 seven and you probably don't know what property management is. Um, that really helped me in order to find something eventually here where I live in Long Beach, um, excuse me, in LA at the time it was Long Beach. And I, I, I advocate that so much because I have so many students and especially they're about to graduate or they just graduate And they're like, I have some money for a down payment. And half of the time I'm like, they have enough money that I'm like, wait, you can buy a, a property. And that's just some, almost free and free and clear somewhere else and get a good rental income. Um, and hopefully eventually sell that in order to get something better here, if that's the case. But I think that's something that I was open to. I was really scared to do, but a lot of my mentors were like, don't be afraid to buy out of state Um, until the day. That's something that I I see has been a real benefit. And sometimes you can't find exactly what you want, especially in places like Los Angeles where, you know, the market is very saturated and that isn't necessarily always those great um, income properties.
0: Absolutely. I I love that. And that's, that's something that I learned um, as well from one of my mentors, who says, "Live where you want to live, invest where the numbers make sense." And mm-hmm. you know, I I live as well in Los Angeles, but I'm investing in
1: six states because
0: it, you know, some sometimes it makes sense to invest we live, other times it does not. <laughs> so that's oh, that, that's, that's, that's great awesome. advice. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> Very awesome. Yeah, you have to be able to to venture out. Yeah, for sure. So
0: you um, you you teach about the, the language of financial
1: literacy. What's your definition of financial literacy? You know, financial literacy for me, I, I mean, just the word literacy makes makes me think of being able to read something, right? And and I, mm-hmm. I talk about the saying, chances are, if you're not literate in a language, you're not fluent in it as well. So. That's why I say it's such a it's a it's a ne- never ending process. And for me, it's like taking time to read new terms, to understand new concepts. That obviously, once you learn one thing, all of a sudden, my mentor or someone tells me something else, and I'm like, what? I've never heard of that. Or how you know how did that? And it's like, oh yeah, it's been going on for you know decades. I'm like, this is incredible. So you start learning new new terms new ways of really managing your money. And so I think of financial literacy is constantly reading. And that's part of what one of my books, well, it's a series of books, right? Financially Savvy in 20 Minutes, is being able to take 20 minutes out of my day to educate myself something that's going to be towards financial literacy, because it's not necessarily the funnest topic that, you know, the topic that everybody decides, like, oh, I really want to learn this right now. Um, so we have to make that, that content fun for ourselves, and that's primarily why I try to do the best of, of providing English and Spanish um, information. Because I think it's we're still in a place where there's luckily more podcasts and content like yours and my podcast well that that provides some of that information, but we're still lacking so much of it because obviously our schools don't provide it, our workplace don't provide it, and financial literacy is just really continuing continuing your education through reading through understanding. Um, not just the theory behind it, but then being able to apply it. So financial literacy can be, I know it's a long way to answer it, but I think that's just kind of the best way that I can say it's not, it's not an, easy, an easy subject, but it's, it can also be a fun one doing it little by little every day, maybe 20 minutes out of your day. Yeah, for sure, and I love that you are doing it as
0: well in Spanish. That you you teach, you know, you have a bilingual podcast and you do it in English and Spanish. You know, one of the things that I have learned about recently was is the big wealth gap. You know, there's a gender mm. wealth gap, right? So we all people talk about the income gap, right? For every dollar a man makes, a woman makes 77 cents, but that's really nothing compared to the wealth gap. So for every dollar that a single white man has net worth, so assets minus liabilities, a single white woman only has 50 cents. And when, right. and, but when you're talking about women of color for every dollar, a single white man has a black or Latina woman has less than one cent, less than it's, one cent to the dollar, which is crazy. And um, it's, it's, yeah, it, so it's so important that you're speaking to these different communities because it's crucial that people know they're financially literate, so they understand, you know, what is an asset, what is a liability, what's the importance of putting your money into assets, I, I, you know, and, and growing and being able to grow your net worth and um, and have that freedom and not necessarily be dependent on having to work two, three jobs or um, or have, you know, be dependent on, on a
1: spouse. You know, you're right, because, and that's something that I just kind of fell into place. I didn't really seek out to start doing any workshops in Spanish and, you know, doing interviews in Spanish. But what I started to get more and more, um, I didn't come up with my name that most people know me as Financially savvy Latina through Social Media Alex, but I was part of this boot camp that they had years ago. Um, and I was part of 100 Women That Won, and they were like, oh, you're the financially savvy Latina, because I happen to be Latina, right? And I was like, cool, sure, I'll own that. That's who I am, technically. So <laughs> um, so all of a sudden, people started to think, oh, okay, she just caters to Latinos. And I'm like, actually, that wasn't even my market. It just, it just kind of stuck to that tagline, because my my book was called Financially Savvy in 20 Minutes. And um, what you just said of that women of color, that's something that is, is still is not only such a huge issue, but... It's something that we need to address within all communities of color, right? And I think that's something. Obviously, I gravitated to you when I saw you at the conference, cause, and and you probably feel the same way. When we go to conferences, especially when it's on on finances, it's not only rare that you'll see women, you'll see women of color, which is even rare. So the fact that you see someone, you're yeah, like, I we're see like you. unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and I, and and it's so important because I feel you know, women as in general, we're trying to do our best to get our foot through the door, and yet we still aren't making nearly as much as men are, or even valued at that necessarily when we come in with our, our race and everything. Um, it's even more important to understand that women of color are struggling even more because we're just trying to be considered an equal. And um, I actually I actually had a, a an epiphany about five years ago. I met this woman who's a physician. She's been a physician for like 20 years. Um, just so talented. If you were to see her, you're not really sure what she is. She happens to be um, Salvadorian. Like I, saw. I was like, Oh wow. I was already in awe with her. Graduated from Harvard, just a smart woman and, and also a real estate investor. And she's like, Oh yeah, I've been investing for years. And she said, Oh yeah, my half of my tenants still think I'm the cleaning lady when I come by once in a while. And I oh, thought, gosh. Oh my gosh. So that never, yeah. And I thought, wow, that never, <laughs> so that never ends. You know, that's what I was thinking because she was like almost twice my age and because that's something I still to this day many times where people are like, oh, where's the where's the owner or where's the, the man of the house or, you know, however they you know, are yeah. talking to the right partner. So I, I think, okay, obviously people still don't necessarily know our worth yet. We're still having to not only remind them, but to show them that we do exist. Um, it's just being able to, you know, make sure we sh- shine light on women like you and I that are um, not only advocating for this type of equality, but... Trying to also set that example, whether it might be a small portion, it's so crucial. Because for me, as I'm looking back in college, I thought I never would see women like myself speaking on major, you know, stages, getting paid well to do it. Right? And then I thought, why don't they? Why isn't there enough enough women? Period. And then why aren't there any women of color on these stages? So the fact that my mom would always tell me, she's like, if you can't find an example of you, then you have to be that example for others. And so that, that's always something that's me. And so when I see women like you at a conference, I'm like, Oh my God, I got to talk to her. Cause obviously I'm so impressed with how many, you know, rental properties you've invested in the fact that journey that you're going through the fact that you've had, my podcast is so new. It just came out this past year um, in March. And so, and it's, in, it's interviews with self-made millionaires because I wanted to highlight people like you that have, you know different backgrounds, and I think that's something that's so important because if we don't see it, it's really hard to believe it for most of us. And so mm-hmm. um, that's my my point to be able to shine the light as many people that I can to be like, hey, guess what? We all exist, and and not to knock down on the white man because guess what? We can learn from them too. I have tons of friends and, of and things that I've learned in that sense. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's what I think some people forget to say. Hey, you know, there's people out there that want to to teach you and 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 in, in order to really empower our community so it's it's incredible to be able to 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 do at least a little portion or at least the best that we can <laughs> for sure so um
0: one of the the things that you've you've spoken about and that I think is really important and, and that also you know that wealth gap number I was talking about that even applies to uh, college graduates because it's that a lot of women get out of college, and especially women of color bogged down by student debt. And mm-hmm. that it's so what how would you recommend that you know so a woman who's finding herself with lots of debt but wants to be an investor, what would you recommend? How would you recommend that she deals with that debt?
1: So that is something I you know obviously spoke a little bit about in my TED Talk and for me, it was a real reality, you know, especially I went to grad school too. And so nowadays we see, and let's be real, if you graduated more than 10 years ago, maybe you didn't find yourself with the same amount of debt that most students are, or graduates are dealing with today. Um, you know, close to six figure debt is, is a reality that a lot of people are faced with. And so for those that are listening, you know, not number one, you're going to feel overwhelmed. I get that. But I talked about those five steps and, and one of them was getting that support and, you know, help, to get through. So not necessarily just accountability, it can send me and walk you through, but if you're finding yourself in that much debt is understanding then how am I going to invest in myself at the same time focusing on paying down that debt? Cause there's a lot of sacrifices, sacrifices, excuse me, that come with that. Um, so a lot of students that might have to move back home or have to live with other uh, roommates in the meantime, in order to make ends meet, uh, knowing that they're still, keeping that responsibility is, is a reality in order to be able to pay down that debt. But understand that if you pay yourself first, even if it's just a little portion, it becomes this habitual thing that will allow you to have a little bit of a cushion when you need it. And for me, that was, um, I actually found, at the another day, an old journal. I write my journal every day for I don't know how many years now, but I found a journal that had my amount that I took out for that $5,000 I needed for that down payment And I remember I was struggling just right out of college. And I thought, wow, what a difference. Um, I remember writing like, oh, my God, this is so scary. I'm taking all of my savings because I didn't have much, but it was like less than a $1,000 in my savings and then my checking. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm basically throwing every money I have now. And the debt that I have, I know I still am responsible to make sure I make those monthly payments. So I only had that much to work with. And so for a lot of students, they might find themselves or college guys, excuse me, those that are dealing with that type of debt to understand that you can always get a loan for education, but you can't get a loan for your financial retirement or future. So being able to take out a little portion to help invest in order to make you more money in the end is totally worth it. And in your twenties, that's such a huge, it feels like such a huge sacrifice because you see people around you that might be getting married or, you know, going on these extravagant uh, vacations and, you know, over. And, and I think that's the, the, the horrible hype that a lot of millennials get where it's like, oh, you know, they're constantly spending money like crazy. Well, if they if they keep that in mind to say, you know what, I'm not going to make these financial ruins within these next five years or ten years, it can really set me up for the following decade, right, in order to say, you know what, I have a rental place. And at the time that was really hard for me because I bought my first condo in not the greatest place in Long, in Long Beach, but it was a decent area. Like, I loved where I lived, and but there was moments where I felt so out of it because all my friends were living in, like, great uh, trendy areas in LA and Long Beach and you know like the best you know when you start noticing like oh that's really nice granite uh tables or (laughs) counters give me you know like such a cute neighborhood that you can go to the bar every night and for me I was like uh no I'm a homeowner now and you know I gotta invest every little money to fix up this place because mine was definitely not a move and ready the 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 ceiling came in right before (laughs) closing so there's a lot of things that you know you know that happens but obviously I saw the potential in that place because I'm like this is, this is a money maker for me. So um, that's something that I understood right then. I'm like, okay, these are small sacrifices. They might feel huge at the time. And luckily I had people that I'd asked you know, advice for. I had a few mentors, one that was about 70. And he was like, does everyone think you're rich right now because you just bought a place? And, and I go, yeah, even though I'm like super broke because I just basically put all this money into it. And he goes, it's okay, it'll, it'll take time. But stay within your budget and don't worry about keeping up with everyone else because everyone's just pretty much throwing their money away. And I, yeah. I found that such valuable advice. And in my twenties to hear that my parents too were smart enough to remind me of that too. Um, I, I, I look back and I think, wow, I, I'm super, not only fortunate, but it was, it was such a way to set me up for the following. And, and I think that's something that a lot of not only young people, anyone that's just basically starting all over with a lot of debt needs to hear so, you yeah. know, some of those steps is getting the, the, the support, the accountability, understanding, and being aware that you're not alone. Most, Americans find themselves in so much debt. I mean, you know, we know the statistics. It's over 40% of marriages fight about money. And, you know, we see more than, I think it's now over 70% of college graduates feel like they don't know what financial literacy is, and they just feel overwhelmed with dealing with their finances. So we're not alone. We just have to be able to be resourceful and gather what we do have and find people that can teach us and go a long way. And I think one of your guests um, recently said that, too, that she said, She was smart. She would start asking instead of one person for advice, at least three that were real estate investors. And I really liked that. I think it was Rita. I can't remember who which guest it was, but I think that was really important to 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 say that because it's true. There was times where I think I found myself asking one person for advice, and yet it was someone that maybe had a really bad bad experience in investing in real estate at the time, which most people were, you know, suffering at too. 2008 they were just like oh my god real estate's the worst you know at the time when everybody was like everything's Mm -hmm. happening so i learned to ask the right people that were actually doing well in those in those areas because Uh, that came a long way
0: that's the the trick right not just asking more than one person but ask the people Mm -hmm. that are where you want to be there are people that are actually doing well versus the people that have been burned the people that made mistakes you know not that there aren't mistakes you can't learn from mistakes but um take advice from people who are doing well (laughs) who are successful yes um i think that so what was your biggest mistake what's been your biggest mistake in your real estate investing career what did you learn from
1: it my biggest mistake uh so the very first property i look back and it wasn't it was a mistake but it was also like the best learning experience um like i mentioned i um This was obviously during the market crash, and I actually didn't tell anyone I bought a place till literally three, maybe four or five years after because it felt so hard to talk about it because not only I I saw a lot of my friends and colleagues lose their their properties, um, whether they were living in it or they were renting out properties, um, but I also was ashamed by it because I thought, wait, we didn't really make any money, and um, just enough for closing costs and everything – but I look back at that, the time period within that year. I remember my partner was very frustrated with me that I said, "You know what? You know if the numbers don't make sense, and that's what our mentors would say, it's it's a bad purchase, right?" And so I, you know, I would tell him, I go, "We can't necessarily just assume that evaluation is going to go up, and you know the area is always going to do well." And I just, I the numbers weren't sitting well with me, and so basically I chicken and I'm like, "This is." I know this is our first property, but this is just not happening. So luckily, we sold it. We found a a seasoned real estate investor later on. Not even like maybe three months later, I found out she made about thirty grand just off of selling that place. But about oh, really? five months later, so imagine, yeah, imagine I was he was mad at me, so he's like, oh, you know. And I told him, I go, I'm sorry, but the numbers didn't make sense. And then I kid you not, five minutes, five months after, this was now a total of eight months since we sold. Um, more than half of the people that invested in that area that we did, so we would have not only lost our initial, everything that we put in, um, we would have owed more, and, like, that's what happened to most people. And, and that became such yeah. a learning tool for me for, for my first place. That took me about two years to find because it was a short sale. I usually recommend short sales and foreclosures. And that allowed me to say, okay, I know what to look out for. I know that I cannot base it on just because everyone is doing it doesn't mean it's right. And I need to be able to make, keep that in mind when my mentor says if the numbers don't make sense. It's not a good investment, and you have to make sure that does sit well with you. And, and I think the fact that I got my feet so wet the first time really helped me the second. And I'm like, okay, and it's and not to say every property is, and you know that too. Every property can be completely different than the one prior, so you're always learning something yeah. new. But I look back, and it was one of those hard mistakes, but at the same time, it was such a good mistake to make because I was I felt fortunate enough that I didn't lose everything like everyone around me. Um, and at the same time, I, I wasn't proud at the moment, and it literally took me years to even talk about that particular property, but I also look back, and I'm like, wait, I learned a lot from that, and the fact that I, I managed, didn't to didn't lose, not only that took was myself, but yeah, <laughs> I didn't lose that, that yeah. was huge, yeah, and at the time, it just didn't feel that way, and sometimes I think that's what it is, and I, I hear my mentors, the old older mentors say the same, like, oh yeah, some of these properties that you make the most mistakes in, you definitely won't make that mistake again in the, the following ones. And, and I, I really do appreciate that to learn to learn that process. So good. And what are you most proud of that you've done? Most recently, I, I'm going to brag because I like how you had that brag section. Um, I would say my TEDx talk because it, it became such a, a, a new platform for not only like you and I had spoken this before at the conference that, There's very few women and women of color talking about financial literacy and advocating for it. And so having that credibility um, on such a cool, an empowering platform like that has really opened up doors, not necessarily just for me, but for other people. I get emails all the time from people almost every day of how they are doing this and how they're proud of this and what they're working towards, and they want to do a TED Talk. And I think that's something that I would have never known it was going to come from. And my TED Talk was a very difficult one because it's not – I talked about my most difficult financial situations and that I, I, till this day I'm a little nervous because it just came out a few months ago and it's amazing how much, I mean, so much great opportunities have come from it, but I see how many people were like, were you scared talking about that? I'm like, yeah, I, I thought, should I really be that vulnerable in front of basically anyone? And and it allowed me to really connect with a lot of people because most people, especially after workshops, you have no idea how many people come up to me and say, I've lost my home, I've gotten foreclosure, I've been in divorce, I've, I've you know, been a widow, I've you know, had so much student debt, I've gone through so much financial depression that comes from that, um, that they yeah. kind feel of like, okay, this is just a temporary. And that's what it is. And that's what I've learned from that. I'm like, no matter where we are, it can be temporary. We just have to figure out who to ask for help how we can work together and move and learn from those mistakes. Because, I mean, for me now, I could say that TED Talk is something I'm really proud of, which I it was literally a dream come true. I I couldn't believe that they offered it. And I said, okay, I'm going to have to take it.
0: (laughs) Beautiful. So good. And this conversation is so good. I'm looking at the time. We're running out of time. So we're going to wrap up, but. I want to ask for, for our, anybody listening, what's the best way for them to reach you and find out more about what you do? Yes.
1: Yeah, so best way to reach me, um, my social media handles are Financially Savvy Latina. I know it's a long one with two these, And my email is the same, so Financially Savvy Latina at gmail.com. Uh, the website, Financially Savvy in 20 Minutes.com, uh, and the podcast is literally the same name. So that's one of the best ways to get a hold of me. And I look forward to, you know, getting to know more of your listeners, too, because obviously people come to listen to you because, I mean, I learned so much from your previous podcast that I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can imagine someone that's just starting out. I would have loved having this back then, right? And I'm sure you probably feel the same way. I'm like, oh, my God, if there was a podcast like this starting out, I could have learned so much more, especially when you're commuting or just, you know, doing whatever it is that you do at home. I think it's so helpful to have this type of podcast.
0: Oh, thank you. Um, okay, so you guys, fin- Financially Savvy Latina on social media and Financially Savvy in 20 Minutes, and that's the number, two zero, the numeral, 20, the numerals 20minutes.com. Um, and, f- and listen to her podcast and check out her TED Talk as well. Um, and so we have time for a quick Trinity, a laser Trinity. I know you kind of did a, a, a little brag, but you can you can have another bonus brag. What's one thing you're celebrating <laughs> right now?
1: One thing I'm celebrating right now, I'm going to have to say the health of my family. Uh, I My hmm. grandfather is 96 years old, and he's been wow. very, you know, we're preparing for him to, you know, move on pretty much. He's just one of my favorite people in the world. And I lost my grandmother in the beginning of this year. So the fact that I get to celebrate my family's health, you know, there's, you know, new babies being born and you know, uh, seeing my nieces and nephews doing amazing things. I'm just, that's what I'm celebrating right now is the health of my family because if their health isn't well, and then guess what? It affects all of us. So that is something I'm yeah. super grateful for.
0: Well, brag. Um, so what's, okay, that was your gratitude. <laughs> One thing you're grateful oh, I'm sorry, for. Oh, sorry. That was my uh, gratitude.
1: Yeah. Let me brag. Okay. <laughs> um, you're right. That was my <laughs> gratitude. Um, my brag. Sorry about that, but yes. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> um, <Your brag. laughs> so yes, what's my brag? Um, oh yes, my my brag is I will be um, well I'm a, I'm on a more than a few panels, but my brag is my children's book is coming out this this fall. So that's something I've been really working hard, and it's a bilingual children's book and it's and basically the empowerment of women and girls and understanding i had a nonprofit for many years and under, and i wanted to teach girls that they can do whatever they want to do in organizations or start companies and whatever it might be no matter what age you are so um i'm really i'm really proud of that that this children book it's taken almost a couple of years and i co-wrote it with someone who's just an amazing author and i'm just so excited about it wow well Bragg, what's the name of that book so it's called Yes, you can with that, Superman.
0: <laughs> I yes, love it. Yes, you can
1: with that, Superman.
0: <laughs> love it. Well bragged. Okay. And lastly, what's one thing you desire? It can be a real estate desire or anything
1: else? Yes. Yeah, so the one thing I desire to be known as the financial literacy advocate for, especially for students with dealing with, And I think that's something we need more of so they can feel less ashamed. So that's my desire to be known as not only that expert, but within that platform, being able to public speak and talk more about this, these issues that affect all of us. Mm. So shall your desire be or so much better
0: than you can imagine.
1: Mm. And
0: um, so thank you. That was amazing. I loved it. so I'm so excited I, I met Natalie at a we were both nominated for our Los Angeles Business Journal Women's Summit Awards and, which was a huge honor and a big benefit of that conference was getting to meet getting to meet her. So I'm super excited Natalie that you were able to come on the show and share your wisdom. Again, you guys can find her at Financially Savvy Latina or Financially Savvy in 20 minutes. You can find me at the real estate at realestateinvestorgoddesses.com or on the Real Estate Investor Goddesses Facebook page. And if you go to the website, and you can connect with women um, real estate investors from all over the world so, and, and meet with me there. So I look forward to connecting with you guys, and I look forward to hearing uh, having another Real Estate Investor Goddess interview. Bye-bye. Bye.